Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's time for The Deuce with Jimmy Chavez on 1620 The Zone. All the headlines you need in two minutes or less. Boys State basketball gets underway in Lincoln at PBA in Devaney in about an hour and a half in Class A. Number one Bellevue West takes on Lincoln North Star. T-Birds looking to run the table and finish off an undefeated season. Omaha West Side and Lincoln East follow. Tonight it's Miller North and Elkhorn South and Gretna and Lincoln Southeast cap it off. That's a fun day and it all starts about 9 o'clock in two facilities. What was not a fun day was yesterday in Sioux Falls for Omaha women's basketball. As their season came to an end yesterday, they fall 93-51 to South Dakota State in the championship game of the Summit League Tournament Sioux Falls. Jackrabbits led 21-8 after one quarter, and they never look back. Mavericks end their season at 15-17. and Pretty good run from them, considering where they started. So all in all, successful season. League, that's a Summit League problem that they have to... They have to find teams that can compete with South Dakota State because they are just dominating the league. It's not an Omaha problem. It's a Summit League problem. Mm-hmm. You, you you can't have the championship game last year, uh, even against South Dakota, I believe, was one-sided. You, you can't have a championship game where a team gets beat by 40. It was 44-16 to 16 at halftime. Yeah, you turn that, that on, you're like, again, yeah, we're moving again, on. Not an yeah. Omaha problem. No, that, not at all. <clears throat> kind of could see that coming. That's a Summit League women's basketball problem. That they have such a good team in South Dakota State, mm-hmm. there is a monster gap, yeah. and they're Minnesota. If you're not if you're not calling Brookings or Omaha to talk to Aaron Johnson or Jim Flannery, I don't know what you're doing. Always you always make them tell you no. A trio of Nebraska basketball players were honored yesterday by the Big Ten. The league announced its all conference selections. Derek Walker leads the trio. He was second team. Uh, by the Big Ten coaches, while the media listed him as an honorable mention pick. Keisei Tomonaga was named honorable mention by both the coaches and media, while Sam Greasel was Nebraska's sportsmanship honoree. Hey! Yeah. a boy. Man, I... Huskers and Gophers tonight in Chicago. Undersold the crap out of Derek Walker, where he'd be in the uh, postseason teams. Said honorable mention. Yeah, will be an honorable mention. That's... Huge that it was by the coaches. I think that yeah. means more than the media, which... Oh, absolutely. I mean, Rebracha from Iowa was not better than Derek Walker in terms of value to your team. But Derek Walker, coaches know. Coaches know the value of you. And I think that's significant that the coaches said Derek Walker is worthy of being a top 10 player mm-hmm. in the Big Ten Conference. And that's a heck of an honor. And it just adds to when this season comes to an end. Replacing Derek Walker is going to be a mammoth task for yep. Fred Hoiberg because of somebody of his ability and what he does on the floor and off the floor. Um, just trying to replicate that. I know they've they've reached out to BJ Mack and everybody has now that guys are going to the portal as some seasons have end and he's the he's the six eight, uh, gonna be twenty three years old from Wofford. Uh, he can shoot the three better than Derek Walker can. There's a lot that he looks like Derek Walker's game. But Derek Walker will be greatly missed. And, yeah. I, and I, again, I think that's a cool honor 
you'd like to be recognized by the media, but pff, I know how the media works. Some some people don't take the voting serious and they just look at stats. Coaches watch so much film right. when they're preparing for an opponent and they know the value of a player. And so they realize that Derek Walker is one of the top ten players in the Big Ten Conference. And so that was that was pretty cool yesterday. Yeah. The 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 interesting coach of the year, because I I think you can make a case for Matt Painter. Mm-hmm. So Chris Collins, they're giving him the award because Northwestern has been terrible yeah. and they had their best season since seventeen. Right. They put a team on the floor that was worthy. You overachieved. Well, in our eyes, they overachieved. Okay. Did Purdue overachieve? Before you say, "Wow, it's Purdue basketball. They're supposed to be good." I know what let, you're getting at here. Okay. Let me, let me rewind the tape on Purdue. Matt Painter's team was, what, preseason fifth or sixth? As you look at the all Big Ten teams, how many guys from Purdue are on the all Big Ten teams, not named Zach Eady, who was the player of the year? Right. Purdue won the conference by three games? Mm-hmm. How many guys, not named Zach Eady, were recognized off the Purdue roster? I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> Yeah, I mean... How many? You had zero. They were preseason fifth, sixth-ish? Mm-hmm. They're going to be a number one seed? Zach Eady was the only guy recognized. Yep. I don't know. I, I think Matt Painter has a case as well. They're up well, here number one in so the we're, polls all so year. So we're giving, we're giving it to Chris Collins <clears throat> just because they had their best regular season since 2017. Yeah, and this is sometimes, though, where we... I think coaches that are, which Matt Painter clearly is now, when you are in that upper echelon of how you're regarded as a college basketball coach, they just expect you to do this. And so, unless you have this major run of injuries, and then you kind of go through a tough spot, but then all of a sudden you have this late surge where you end up either winning the conference or you you know forge a, a tie for the conference, whatever the, the case might be, then those upper-tiered coaches maybe get that respect of coach of the year. It, it's you take, you take their presence for granted is what I'm getting at. We see this with a lot of big-name coaches that have achieved a lot here as of late where it's, yeah, like you said, it's Purdue. Well, it's Purdue. I mean, they're good. They recruit well. They're supposed to be built really solid. But, yeah, when you're looking at not a lot of representation on the all-Big Ten first and second team, You've got, yeah, stud, but outside of that, there's something to be said about good coaching, about how you're able to have a team, not just one player, sort of drive that. So, I, I, I know, the, I, easy, and you, you see this a lot, Chris though. Collins. I mean, I, yeah. I, I get that. And I'm not, I'm not, I mean, Northwestern getting the number two seed is unfathomable. But you have to kind of sometimes looking at these go, okay, they're the first place team, but why are they the first right. place team? And I just want people to think, you know, there's another side of the coach of the year that Matt Painter could have a case to be the coach of the year. Now, they don't release the voting totals like we do in professional sports, but I would be curious on this because I, I imagine that Painter is probably two. I wonder who got the third most votes for coach of the year. Mm-hmm. Kevin Willard, Fred Hoiberg. I could have seen Fred getting something. I mean, in all, yeah. of, in all of this voting for the all-conference team, did the last month for Nebraska have much of an impact? Because what we thought about Derek Walker, we mm-hmm. thought about him in January. Yeah. His importance to Nebraska. Yeah. I, I would, I, they would never do this, but I just wondered who, 
who finished second or third in the coach of the year? Because Hoiberg had to get some votes. I bet he did. And people are going, yeah, well, you were supposed to be, what, 13th? And you got to 11th, but my God, you could have fallen apart and you won six of your mm-hmm. your uh, last uh, oh, yeah. eight. All right, 39 past the hour. John Fanta. Uh, we'll talk about the uh, Big East. Uh, and does is there any benefit to Creighton in the Big East tournament? There's benefits to the Villanovas of the world and the Providences who just don't get anybody need, hurt. Either get in or solidify. And 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 you know, Creighton's half of the last eight Big East championship games and MSG Creighton has played in. But is there a benefit when you are a team that's kind of already locked into your seed of a conference tournament where you might play three games in three right. days? We'll approach that with John Fanta. Now, there is the part of the conference tournament that you need to win to get in. Unless you're Merrimack. For the second straight year, we have this issue with winning a conference title, but you can't go to the NCAA tournament. Bellarmine last year, the same thing happened to them. In the NEC tournament last night, Merrimack beat FDU. But here's the issue. Merrimack is making the transition to Division One, and they have a basically a sit-out period. Their, their conference, because you want everybody to be involved, make a little extra money, they said we can have Merrimack in the tournament. So everybody going in knew the rules that if Merrimack made a run and they won the conference tournament, which goes with the automatic bid, yeah. that they would not get it and the team they beat would get in, similar to last year. You know the rules. It's part of the transition. You can't just have willy-nilly, hey, I'm going to make the move to Division One and then go back. So you have to have some things in place, but I would hope, or you'd have teams that were, you know, just go up and down. And Omaha had to do this in their transition mm-hmm. to be eligible when they made the move to the Summit League. Now the Summit League made the move to get a little extra money and add a day to the conference tournament. They invited St. Thomas. St. Thomas isn't eligible until 25-26, they're making the jump from Division Three to Division One, but when they said they were going to be involved in the conference tournament, I remember the league, Nick, they sent out a lengthy list of all these rules that yeah. if St. Thomas wins, then the, the team they beat will get the automatic bid, and it went on and on and on. So everybody knows the rules going in, but I would love to see him tweak this a bit where the length of your probation is two years. right. Start with that. And maybe you could even make a case that for programs that are moving up, like from Division Two Omaha, to Division One, or St. Thomas, Division Three, making the un- really unprecedented jump all the way up to Division One, and they have a really good men's basketball program, or Merrimack making their jump, that if you're going up, maybe it's just two years, but if you're going down, like from Division One to Division Two, or there's even some because of the financial considerations drop all the way to Division Three. Yeah. Then your sit-out period is five years. I want to start with the two years because when Omaha was going through that, I always thought that that was the sweet spot. Because why do they say it's a four-year probationary period, transitional period, because of the finance? Because they want to make sure that an athletic department and the programs involved – the members are a lot more financially stable once they hit the postseason. I'm sorry, but in my opinion, 
that's something that you can establish in the first couple of years. And especially with what you are sort of gaining from any type of postseason tournament revenue, I think that the two is probably the sweet spot because you're not making that jump if you don't already have sort of a financial blueprint in place, if you don't have facilities in place. For that to be four years, I've always thought is too long. Like I think of the Omaha baseball team when they won the Summit League regular season, but they could not compete yeah. in the postseason. I, I, I hate that when you now see these examples of whether we're talking about Bellarmine or, or Merrimack in two teams that are at least in, in St. Thomas as well, that are given at least the opportunity to play in those tournaments because you know that Merrimack is saying, yeah, we're, we're the conference champions, and they are. From a competition standpoint, they are. They're just not being recognized by the NCAA to where they can compete in the postseason. I, I just feel like if that's if, if you're going to be that rigid on it, and I understand some type of probationary period, but not four years, if you're going to be that rigid about it, how much money are you gaining from that extra game is what I would really like to know. And maybe it's more than I can even imagine, but you put all of these other teams in a situation, you know, and, and think of Fairleigh Dickinson right now. They knew once they won their semifinal game, that was the championship game. So what type of game are you getting out of them when it comes to playing Merrimack? They, they know, okay, we could be the outright champions, no controversy whatsoever. But if you got a little bit of that safety net, things start, you know, push comes to shove. Are you getting the best matchup in that championship game? I know most people say, no, 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 because you, you, you can leave all doubt and all of the, the talk behind you. These kids are playing it exactly how they would if Merrimack was uh, qualified or was, was out of probation and they could qualify for the NCAA tournament. I don't necessarily buy that. And I think also the emotions of those players for Merrimack and anybody else, Bellarmine last year, that had an actual tournament championship – and then it's just this flat feeling of, okay, we accomplished that, but what is the most exciting thing for all of these mid-major schools when they win their conference tournament? They're going to the dance. They can't wait to see their name up on Selection Sunday, where they're going to go, all of that. I feel like if you put them in a position to where they could technically, from a competition standpoint, achieve that, but with a rule from the NCAA, they can't be recognized as a qualifier because they're in probation, I feel like you're taking one of the most exciting parts of that experience away. So then why have them in the tournament, period, where they could actually make it to the final game, win, but then not be eligible? I just, I hate that. Now, dropping back, though, if you're going back, then you'd kind of look at a competitive disadvantage for say if you're going to division two or division three so to your point where there could be a longer probationary period there then okay then you you could see a reason for sort of the rest of the league to kind of adjust to a team that was just division one that had at one point at least resources recruiting and the type of players that are division one caliber athletes now moving down to division two or division three from a competition standpoint i could see it making more sense as having a longer probationary period of two years. But moving up, I would totally agree with you. Two years, I, I've always thought was a sweet spot there. Well, St. Thomas almost knocked out Fort Roberts in the semifinal. Yeah. That would have created some uh, chaos right. and be very uncomfortable in the uh, Summit League uh, office. 
All right, John Fanta a little bit later. Uh, also, uh, Eric Sorensen covers uh, high school football in the Phoenix area. He's got a thought or two on Dylan Riola and the latest there. Maybe he was enamored with that picture of Dylan Riola and Lincoln Riley posing at the Coliseum. It's pretty cool. You guys believe that Dylan Riola talks to Lincoln Riley every day? This is so no. the crystal ball recency stuff is no. Dylan Riola could like go to Eugene this weekend and people would say he's going to Oregon. Yeah. I I, I know you have to you have to ride the wave yep. of this. And that's what it is. But does he really talk to Lincoln Riley every day? Like what do they talk about? Hey buddy, you up? Uh, you know, quarterback stuff. I know, I don't, you know, I mean, I, I get the, you can have those relationships because Mickey Joseph basically talked to Malachi Coleman every day. Mm. Talking about release points, but that was, footwork, mechanics. That was after he committed. Mm. Uh, also, Brandon Vogel will uh, stop by. Mornings with Sharp and Hanley at 1620 The Zone. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.